Welcome to the Fortune Management Practice Mastery Podcast. Each episode, we bring you powerful conversations with thought leaders in the dental, veterinary, optometry, and medical industries. At Fortune Management, we coach doctors and teams to have an extraordinary practice and an extraordinary life. I'm Kim McGuire, host of the Practice Mastery Podcast. Today, I'm chatting with our friend, Teresa Duncan, a writer, speaker, podcaster, thought leader from Odyssey Management. Teresa is absolutely a revenue cycle expert. She helps dentists and office managers establish solid financial management systems. Her knowledge about the ever-changing landscape of dental insurance, accounts receivable, the labor market, and front office systems is absolutely unmatched. I know you're gonna get a ton out of this episode. I loved reconnecting with my friend of many years. And now, please enjoy my conversation with Teresa. Welcome, Teresa, to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. It's so nice to reconnect with you. I know it's been a while and it's fun to reconnect and talk about some very interesting things we've got going on in the dental industry. And I know you are such an expert in all things systems when it comes to the dental practice, specifically the revenue cycle. You are the expert and the go-to person. And I know, Teresa, that our industry's really been changing a lot. So let's talk a little bit about what you are seeing. And let's talk about a little bit about the labor shortage and what's happening mm. in the in the dental industry and how that's affecting what you're seeing out there. So what's interesting to me is I sent out my newsletter last year. What the, it was probably the first time since everybody really got back into, you know, the swing of things. And I sent out my newsletter and I had, I want to say 30 unsubscribes, but they came with notes from people saying, I'm retiring, I'm leaving, I left dentistry. And they were all people I knew. And it broke my heart because, you know, these are, we're losing so much institutional knowledge, right? When they retire. Yes. So I, th- I think the labor shortage has really hurt admin wise because it's, you know, you can't just throw somebody into the dental office, there's systems, there's rules. I mean, all this compliance and then, and then insurance and you expect someone to understand how to do a claim, how to fill out a claim form. So I think the labor shortage has resulted in, um, I hate to call them unskilled, but they're unskilled in this area. I mean, sure. they are at collecting money, they're tentative, getting together good estimates that's hit or miss. And when that shored up, it's beautiful, but it takes some time, as you know. Yes, for sure. So what we're seeing in all aspects of the dental practice with hygienists, assistants, and of course, administrative team members, we do have a labor shortage. There's a huge, massive shift going on. And you're right, with the retirement of a lot of these people, um, we're losing knowledge on the whole revenue cycle. Teresa, why don't you talk a little bit about your focus on the revenue cycle as it pertains to the dental office? Well, I love money. So when I was in an office as the manager, you know, I started out as an assistant and I was terrible. And I realized I was really good at asking for money and talking about finances and all of that. So uh, it just is a natural love for me. I want to be able to help people afford the dentistry, but I'm also really passionate about making sure that the office can operate and pay their employees and 
to me, the most important part is being profitable so they can reinvest in the office and reinvest in the employees. And that only happens when we're collecting. So when I talk about revenue cycle, you know, yes, insurance is a huge part of it, but also just making sure we take these co-insurance amounts up front, making sure that we even do deposits, making sure that billing goes out um, not monthly. I, there's still some offices that bill monthly. I want you to bill daily. Get that statement out at the, every every day. Get a get a set of statements out, and and that just increases cash flow. Uh, I don't know if you've heard this from your clients yet, but you know we get regular insurance payments through electronic funds transfers, but also through paper checks. But there's quite a few insurance companies that are going to do check runs once a month or twice a month only. So what that means is that our cash flow slows down significantly. And the only way to really mitigate that is to collect as much from the patient as possible or just be fee for service, you know, and collect it all as we can. Well, what I love about this conversation is doctors and team members are always talking about, you know, we, we talk a lot about scheduling the goal and producing and making sure we're seeing as many patients as we can. And what I love about this conversation is if that's all well and good, if you don't collect the money, yes, you're right. You can't be as profitable as possible. You can't reinvest in your team or in technology. So it, it is true. And I love what you're talking about, asking for the patient's portion at time of service. Yes. Yes. Sending out statements daily. Absolutely. Yeah. Explain to our listeners a little bit about sending them daily. What would trigger that? So in every software, you can set it up so that they won't get a statement more often than 20 days, 30 days, right? So you just have to go to your settings and set it up correctly. So at the end of the day, when you put in all your insurance payments, there's going to be some residual and the better you get at it, the less residual, right? But uh, there's going to be some residual, something's going to happen. And so you want to send that out at the end of the day. And that's usually just part of your end of day process. I mean, if it's just one extra click, right? Just add it to the end of the day um, and quickly review them. And so if you're doing it once a month or every two weeks, you're, you're waiting to send it out. I mean, why? They already have the explanation of benefit at home. So so they should know it's coming, right? right? And then that just that just pushes up my cash flow. Um, the other piece of this is that I will talk to people in classes and they'll say, oh my gosh, we've been doing it monthly. I don't want to do this. I can't imagine doing it every day. Well, the first time you do it, it's going to be a lot of statements because of course it's your regular run. Just trust me and just keep hitting the send statements button. Just trust me on this. You'll see it'll even out and your cash flow will even out as well. Exactly. And so that EOB comes back. And if there's a balance, you immediately send the patient that statement that day, or if they're at their 20 or 30 day cycle, you've got to send it out. And of course, also keeping track of, wait, Mrs. Patient hasn't paid in however many days, maybe I need to give her a call because if we're in a relationship-based practice, yes. give them a call and talk to them about the money that they owe the practice. Because our feeling is nobody wants to owe you any money. Yeah. Um, do you want to work something out? Well, and text to pay and online pay has made this so easy, right? And I, you know, I'm surprised because text to pay does cost the office a little bit, but you know what? I, I like my money in the bank. Um, so, so there's that. But the other side of this is when you send that statement to the patient, I want you to check what your due date is on that statement because, you know, another relic is 30 days to pay the bill. Nobody gives you 30 days. My credit card company, my doctor's office, no, it's like 10, 15 days. So ratchet that down. There's no reason to give them a 30-day grace period. Yeah. So that also means then instead of doing your aging report once a month, you probably could be working it every two to three weeks. And if you do it this way, 
I'm telling you, trust me, it will be a smaller report. Because right now they're thinking, oh my gosh, that report is huge. I don't want to do that every co-. It will be smaller. It will, it be, will smaller. be smaller because you're doing little bits at a time. And I love you saying, so let's talk a little bit about that wonderful aging report. And if we only look at it once a month, you know, it's a moment in time, that aging report. So Teresa, what are some tips for our listeners as to how often and how they should be looking at that aging report? So there's two situations that this is really important. The first is if you're doing cleanup. So if you're doing cleanups, like say everybody has like this one, um, I I guess you would call it a voodoo doll of somebody who they've had to clean up after. Right. So (laughs) if you've ever been in that situation, you know, you're, you're sitting on that report, probably once a week, you're running that report just to double check everything. But the report, only as good as the information you put back on the report, which means asking for the reference number of the call. Um, Unfortunately, I know it's like two or three hours nowadays to get online with someone, Uh, but making sure that you track all of your notes, track follow-ups and all of that. Once you get it to a good maintenance point, I mean, every three weeks really is, is, to me, it's manageable. Uh, I want less than 5% over 90 days. That's my metric. And so for the managers and owners listening to this, here's my test. Can you tell me who's in the over 90? And if the person looks at you this with a blank face, that means they're really not working it. Because right now, if you were, I still do claims for my old, old boss a long time ago, right? I still do my claims. So if you right now were to ask me who's in over 90, I know exactly who it is because I've been like in a deadlock with this insurance company, right? So right. that's what should happen. They should go, oh, well, we're waiting on this secondary insurance and we're doing this appeal and we're waiting to talk to HR. But if they just kind of look at you with a blank stare, then you can tell nobody's really given that report some love. Exactly. And then what do you want in over 30 and over 60 days? Like what are some of the other metrics you could give us? I want most of it paid within 45 days. I mean, 30 days easily. But now that I'm hearing that there's they're going to one check run or two check runs a month, I have to be realistic. I can't expect it if it's not coming. Right. So I would normally say most of your current under 30 days and just stay on top of what's aging out over that. But I, I think I w- we may need to go to 45 days just to be safe, mm-hmm. um, making sure that, that I'd say 80, 85 percent over you know, they're going to be paid within that, that short time frame. Um, and hopefully, hopefully electronic funds is something that your clients are using and that people yes. are using. I just mm-hmm. think that's so easy, but at the same time, if you don't have it set up correctly, it can really get away from you. I mean, I hear stories of people who have not reconciled electronic funds in months just because it's, they're doing everything else. And I feel for them. Yes. And so the money's coming in. So the doctor is collecting the money, yet it's not being reflected on their practice management software. So then it's completely not matching up. So I agree with you, the EFTs, you've got to be on top of all those emails coming in. And then, yeah, so that when we run the ARs, it's a true AR. You know, this is making me think, um, Teresa, talk to us a little bit about credits and how you want the practice to handle credits. Oh, credits. Okay. So lovely credits. So if, if it is a situation where I know they have more work, right? So they're in the middle of the treatment and they're still going, you know, I use that as a reason to reach out and remind them, you know, Hey, guess what? Um, cherry on top. We've got some credits in your system and you still have tons of stuff that we want to do or not tons of stuff, but we still have some work that needs to be done. You say it nicely. Right. Um, and then, and then of course, try to get them to schedule. Now every state has a law about credit. So I want to make sure that your listeners know about that you actually, it's called unclaimed funds. And so you'll need to check with your state what that is. But if you have a credit on a patient's account and you've made attempts to return it and there's no reply, 
that actually, in most cases, gets turned over to the state, and then the state holds on to that money, which kind of sucks because you know what? I'm handling it just fine, sitting in my my stuff, right? right? But the state wants it, of course. If you are making attempts to give it back to them and they're telling you to keep it on the books because of work, that's okay. You just need to make sure that that's documented. Exactly. You just want to document that in the chart and uh, the patient's ledger. Yeah, Mm -hmm. absolutely. So part of the revenue cycle, of course, is insurance. Mm -hmm. It's a major part of it. And as we just discussed um, with the shifts going on in the labor market, some of our knowledge is leaving us at the same time some plans are becoming more complex. Yeah. So Teresa, talk to us a little bit about that. What are you seeing out there? So plan designs out there are just wild and woolly. That's that's really the only term I can think of um, that really describes it. There's a lot of clauses that I read now because this is what I do for fun, Kim. I read you know, benefit booklets for fun. <laughs> and what I'm finding is that the clauses are just so different now than they were four or five years ago. So for example, you have a lot more restrictions on radiographs. You have a lot more radiographs now being applied to the deductible. I saw one plan where all of the evaluations were not applied to the deductible, covered at 100%, but your limited evaluation was covered at 80% subject to the deductible. What a carve out. You know, and and here's the poor, you know, person up front, maybe they're brand new to dentistry and insurance, and they're trying to figure out how to make this work in their software, you know, so and then uh, some of the Medicare Advantage plans out there have a lot of cost containment measures in them, which is which are clauses, I call them cost containment measures. When I talk to patients, that's what I say to them. And what I have seen is, for example, there's a $1,000 yearly benefit, right? 250 per quarter is what's allowed. So, you know, and and I remember hearing this, I was at an insurance meeting when I saw this slide go up and I was sitting next to a a dude from Dentrix who, you know, is in charge of making sure that their coverage tables work and all that. And I turned to him and I said, you guys don't have this set up. And he goes, no way. He said, I don't even know how to program this, Teresa. But for us, we have to do this. I mean, we're going to be the ones that have to have a sticky note. I mean, it's a sticky note thing, right? Like this is what I'm calling it is like now these plans are requiring sticky notes upon sticky notes because they're not the traditional 180-50. There's just clauses all over the place. I'll give you one example, which has been taking a lot of people by surprise. So maybe you're doing an implant on number eight and you give them a flipper to hold on to that space, right? I mean, pretty normal, standard, when a lot of offices are finding out this submitting that flipper for number eight actually keeps them from getting paid for the implant restoration and which is, you know, paying 50% of a flipper versus 50% of an implant. I mean, the patient loses. So, um, you know, but, but then you have contracts where if you're in network, most of the time they do require you to submit everything. Right. So then you have to explain to the patient if I submit this, you're not going to get the full benefit. And then there's a lot of conversation that goes. And, and that's if you're aware of that clause. So hopefully I've I've saved somebody some trouble with that because that has really been all over the place with, I've been getting a lot of emails about that. So the clauses are just crazy. And I understand they're trying to cut costs, but it makes our job so hard. So what do you suggest practices do? Is it, is it about insurance verification down to some more specifics? So the eligibility piece is important. And if you can do it electronically, that's great. But a lot of people think eligibility and benefits are the same thing. Eligibility is just finding out whether or not they have the benefits, right? And it's not even a promise because 
you know, a year from now, HR could audit and find out that patient wasn't actually an employee. And then you, you know, there's a mess there. So it's just a kind of a sort of a promise, a sort of a promise ring, I guess. Um, but the benefits part, what you see on the faxes, what you see on the portals is helpful, but sometimes it's not everything. And so what I've been asking people to do, and I know that this is above and beyond, and I know that this means you need labor, right? Is when a patient comes in with a new plan, ask them to go into their employee portal and download the benefit booklet themselves. It's usually, you know, 20, 30 pages, and it basically has everything about that plan so that you know everything. But what that means is you have somebody at the front who likes reading that kind of stuff, and can translate it. But if you have somebody who's trying to check somebody in, answer the phones, put in treatment, you know, fill out the referral pads, I don't know how you do that. I don't know how you don't catch these things. So attention to detail and manpower. Exactly, manpower. So uh, I love that idea though, give it to the patient, have them download it from their portal. Mm-hmm. Because as we always say, every insurance company is different and every plan is different. So the patient really needs to have that awareness, at least that their plan. So you're saying maybe for more complex cases, they should do this at least? I would. Yeah. If I do any kind of bridges, implants, TMJ um, or TMD treatment, any of that, the the stuff that you know can catch you, I absolutely will ask for that. Um, okay. Crowns, endo, per, you know, perio though, perio, I'm sure you're hearing perio is getting a little crazy out there. Uh, yeah. But for, for the, the things like implants where you have a lot of cost involved too, endo too, my gosh. So yeah, I would ask for that, that benefit booklet. Um, if you don't see it online, some, some plans are better at putting everything out there than others. So if you can get it, great suggestion. Yeah. So we just mentioned, you know, it takes manpower. Let's talk a little bit about what we're seeing in the market with outsourcing. There's a lot of practices are taking a look at, well, I don't have enough people in my admin department and we want our admin people to be hanging, you know, to be connecting with the patients that are in the practice. So we're outsourcing. What are the pros and cons? What should people be looking at? Well, you know, I've always thought it was really silly that the most insurance knowledgeable person in the office is on hold with the insurance all the time. Right. So that doesn't mean you don't need an insurance coordinator. It just means that the insurance coordinator can not do these mundane things like sit on the phone and follow up on claims. So I think it's a, I think outsourcing is fantastic. I wish I had had it when I was managing but there are some caveats with outsourcing because I hear the good and I hear the really bad. Mm-hmm. And so um, there's some best practices I, I have around them. I haven't actually documented them. I probably could write an article about just best practices on this stuff, right? But what I, what I would want you to do is whomever they assign to you, because every company is going to have reps, right? Ask them for somebody who's been doing this for more than a year and has been able to maintain two to three clients for more than a year. Now, I understand that that cuts out a lot of the new companies coming up. I understand that, but there's always going to be somebody who hired them. For me, that's what I would do. I would I would make sure I get references. Um, typically what happens, just so doctors are aware and, and other team members too, there's a lot of office managers who are good at insurance. And so they're deciding to stay home and working from home. And that's fine. That's fine. That's great. Um, We're all entrepreneurs, right? So we get it. But what a lot of times what they don't realize is you have to have some HIPAA compliant systems there. So I know quite a few office managers who are using their laptop to do 
outsourcing to outs to work on this. And when I asked them, do you have, do you have a certificate from your IT? Do you have something from your IT company that says you're HIPAA compliant? They're like, no, what are you talking about? Do you have business insurance? No, what are you talking about? So this is what bothers me and that's what scares me. So I'm kind of like, you know, hey, this is going to be a great career for you, but you just got to get your ducks in a row. Great. So going with a company mm-hmm. that has outsourcing and has that all in place is great, but you don't want to get that brand new manager and you're the first client Unless you're, you know, maybe if you're good at at blackjack in Vegas, maybe. (laughs) I'm not that risky. So I would want somebody who with with some experience. Now, that being said, so say you're working with this person, everything's great. They should be giving you regular reports. You know, I I hear weekly reports. I hear biweekly reports. I hear monthly reports. Monthly is a little too long for me. Biweekly, you know what? It sounds like it's a long time, but doctors and managers, you're busy too. So maybe biweekly, but to get started weekly for sure. For sure. I I agree with that. Yeah. And then they're, and then what they're doing, they're telling you what they're working on. They're telling you the, the movement in the collections. You should see a bump in collections. You should see a bump in, um, systems, like as far as uh, case presentation, like the, the amounts of the benefit amounts should be in there. Like it should be, you should notice some smoothness. Um, so hopefully that's, that's enough to just get you started with it. That's excellent. That's excellent. So I think it's a great alternative for some people. And I just think you're right. We've got to get reports back from them and keep on top of it. That's where I've seen it be the most successful. So if you're in the dental industry and you're on social media, there may be some talk of like, everybody's leaving PPOs. You know, what are you seeing out there in the market as far as what was really going on? So, I, I mean, it's great seeing everybody's success stories. I think it's fantastic. And, um, you know, and, and let me just be clear, too. I think there are some offices that do well with being PPO. So I'm not anti-PPO. I, I have to be agnostic anyways, because I work with the insurance companies, too. So I'm sure. totally agnostic. But mm-hmm. I know that there's people that believe that there's this big movement towards getting out of network. And I it's just not, that's not the case. Um, it's still a net gain for the carriers. So the ones who are leaving, I mean, it's great for their office. And I think that they're going to be successful if they do it correctly. And, you know, and I think in this market, people value are starting to really value health more and more because of COVID bringing everything to light. So I, it's a good time. It's a good time. Um, but what you'll see is everybody like one after another, 20 different people saying I left. And then there starts to be this like fear of missing out. And then there starts to be this peer pressure. Maybe I should be out of network. But what they don't realize is that there's still more people signing up to be in network than are moving out. And, um, you know, I I guess lecture for a a handful of dental schools and talk to the D3s and the D4s. And what I'm hearing is that they're ready to go. I mean, they're ready to participate pretty quickly. And if they work you know, if they associate anywhere, they're pretty much going to be in network. So it it just, I I appreciate the groundswell movement and, you know, maybe it'll take off, but I just don't think that it's this huge tsunami that people can, if you read social media, it's a tsunami. It looks like a tsunami, of course. Well, social media goes to extremes with whatever the subject. I, I think that what we've always taught at Fortune is that the doctor needs to be very 
confident in whatever their vision is of the structure of their their practice, whether it's going to be a more fee-for-service or a PPO practice or really a mix. We're mostly seeing a hybrid. Mm -hmm. I think it's also about being smart about what businesses are around you and what the major carriers are with the companies that that are in your area for their benefits for their employees. It's about being smart about it and also understanding how you're treating your patients and the volume that you're seeing in order to be able to still be profitable. Right, right. And, you know, I appreciate wanting to be super busy and super successful, but sometimes, you know, sit back a little bit. You made goal for the day and it's only like two o'clock. Chill out, relax a little, you know. (laughs) Exactly. Absolutely. So, Teresa, what are you seeing with um, the Medicare Advantage? I know you've got some information for our listeners. Yeah. So um, first things first, I am not a medical billing expert. So let me just put that out there. I, I. You know, if I'm really, you know, vibing with you and you want to get more information from me, it's just not going to be about medical billing. <laughs> not medical billing. <laughs> I, I'm Absolutely. terrible. I will give you terrible advice. So uh, there's lots of experts out there for that. But Medicare Advantage. So Medicare, of course, is medical, right? Medicare Advantage are the the dental vision hearing plans that Medicare recipients can sign up for. So the biggest, uh, to me, of course, well, people would say vision and hearing, depends on what you're missing, right? Um, to me, dental is a huge gap for those seniors, right? So now, and it's been happening for a little bit, but it's really gained steam now, we definitely have a lot more of these Medicare Advantage plans. And what that means is that they can come to your office now and have, it's almost like just a regular PPO plan, right? So what happens though is that the carriers, and next year you'll see it for sure, there'll be more defined networks for Medicare Advantage. Like Delta Dental has a Medicare Advantage network. Aetna will have a Medicare Advantage network. So right now, you may not be part of the Medicare Advantage network and you may want to be. So um, you might want to you might want to look into it. And it might, if it's the same fees, why not, right? Now, if it's lower fees, you got to think about it. But, you know, typically it's the same fees. There's a couple caveats that come with that, though. You have to do annual fraud, waste and abuse training that because it's government, it makes you compliant. Right. So always. And for right now, for any of you taking Medicare Advantage plans and you're a network provider, please go to the websites and take this um, fraud, waste and abuse training. And I believe that it's everybody who touches claims in your office has to do this. Okay. So on the medical side, that's why we have certified medical coders on the medical side. And that's, I mean, just going from a high level, Kim, what I worry about is that we're going to get to that point where it's we're so regulated, we have to be so compliant that now we're going to need certified dental coders. There is no dental coding certification out there that doesn't right. exist. We do we have to have certified medical coders and dental coders in order to be compliant with whatever national health plan or Medicare or whatever. So that's where the medical community saw solo offices really go down. Struggling, yeah. I mean, the cost of doing business. And so I worry about that for dentistry. I really Mm do. Uh, So Medicare Advantage, though, is a great way to get some of these people into the offices that normally wouldn't. So just make sure that you take a look at them because these are the ones with the wild and woolly plan designs that 250 per quarter, that was a Medicare Advantage plan from Humana. Um, There's some Blue Cross Blue Shield Medicare Advantage plans that have restrictions on how many x-rays they'll benefit bite wings versus how many PAs versus, I mean, it's just nuts, right? Complex and complicated. Yes, exactly. Yeah. 
but but it's on the rise and it's right it's gone up every year and next year is going to be astronomical in my opinion because um they actually are funding more and more so the government subsidizes the medicare advantage plans and so that's why you see this is very profitable now so you're seeing them and keep an eye out if you watch commercials if you're one of those that still is is watching commercials you'll see a lot of zero premium medicare advantage plans that's a thing Interesting. So you mean okay. patient coming in? They've wow. never paid for their plan, but now they've got a thousand dollars to use. I mean, what? So, wow. Yeah, a strange new world we're going into with all of this. Well, we will be on the lookout for Medicare, Medicare Advantage plans. Thank you for that. Absolutely. So I wanted to kind of um, wrap this up by asking you a little bit. We talked about, I want to talk about monitoring and some KPIs. We talked about our aging reports and, and taking a look at our ARs. What else, when you're just talking about big picture with the revenue cycle, what do our teams need to be aware of and monitoring so that they can make sure that they are as profitable as possible? So one metric that I don't think a lot of people track, and I would love for you to start tracking, is uh, there's a separate, so you have adjustments, right? Credits and debits, whatever. Um, I actually have a separate uh, list of adjustments that I would like you to track. So MetLife adjustments, Delta adjustments, whatever. These are not the differences in fee schedules, though. So this is not the difference between your full fee and fee schedules. This adjustment it reflects any write-offs that you had to do because it disallows any denials that you lost um, on appeal but decided to write off, any refund checks that you had to send in for whatever reason. So, and those would probably be a separate, you know, MetLife insurance refund. But all of those different adjustments. So, say I'm going to compare my numbers for MetLife. I'm going to say. Okay, if I had been out of network, mm -hmm. all of these procedures, I did 100 procedures of this, whatever. So I, you do all that math, you know, you do the numbers for them. So you always think, okay, maybe it's, it's actually like a 25% write-off. I'm actually only writing off 25% of my fees. When you add in all of the appeals that you lost, all of the disallows, all of the difference in fee schedules, it actually puts a, it, it's a bigger number. And a lot of people don't realize that that's a solid cost of doing business that they haven't factored into the true cost of being in network. Um, I don't know how to quantify. I wish I had a magic um, eight ball for this, but I don't know how to quantify the amount of labor that we're spending on being on hold and all of that. But that's something to consider. Great advice. So really digging into that insurance report every month and taking a look at that. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. Can I give you one more? I would love. Yes. Like I a love bonus, that. like a bonus, right? So uh, mm -hmm. your referral sources, I'm hoping that you're tracking every insurance company as a referral source. Mm -hmm. And when you run your top refers, is it all insurance companies? And unfortunately, many offices find that it's almost all insurance companies that are sending them new patients. So on one hand, it's good because you signed a contract with the carriers and part of that contract is they send you new patients. That's great. But on the other hand, if you're looking to become less insurance dependent, if you don't have people sending the other people your way, you don't have these evangelists, you don't have a, an internal marketing pipeline. You really need to work on that before you get off of plans. I, I love that you said that you're speaking my love language. Yeah. <laughs> 
We want our clients to have at least 50% of their patients be patient referrals. If, if their vision is to build a relationship-based practice, and I completely understand if they are going to shift or drop some plans or maybe even use some umbrella plans, which we haven't even really talked about, mm. they need to, where they will be not contracted with some insurance companies anymore, they must have a great new patient flow from patients referring them. And I think the, um, that's what I always say to my clients. If you are wanting to eliminate however many plans that you're contracted with, you do need to increase your customer service. And so people are willing to spend a little bit more with you um, if you're going to be out of network. Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm so glad that you talked to your clients about that because I I find that that's something that people go, oh, well, now what? Oh, you got a market. Wait, what? <laughs> yeah, you know, the marketing and create that wow experience. And what does five star service service look like for you? And that kind of a thing. Absolutely. Exactly. And actually, to your point for to our earlier part of the conversation, knowing enough about all the plans and really being able to communicate with the patient about what their estimates are and everything in an intelligent way. That's part of five star service. Because you're really giving them a lot of great information. Well, you're building the trust. And if you, you know, even if you say, I don't know, I'm going to check into it. It's not eroding trust. It's when you kind of wing it and say, oh, yeah, it's going to be 80%. It ends up not even close to it. That's eroding trust. So yeah, five, five star service. It's boy, we have to keep working at it, right? Though it's, it's not something that comes easily and, you know, automatically. Exactly. It is a... And it's sort of an ever moving target, but you know, the doctor being a great leader and having great vision and, and not compromising on that is really, really important. Well, Teresa, you have just been a wealth of information as always. Is there anything else you'd like to leave our listeners with? Well, um, they are welcome to check out my podcasts. I actually have two. One is Nobody Told Me That. It's management and insurance. And then the other one is Chew On This with my good friend, Kevin Henry. And we take kind of um, current events, current dental events, and and kind of riff on. And we do a lot of TikTok trends and crazy stuff, right? Uh, So that's that's a lot of fun. Um, We're kind of, we took a hiatus for a little bit, but we're going to get back into it. And I have a book called Moving Your Patients to Yes, Easy Insurance Conversations. So you can find that on Amazon or on my website and tons of free webinars, tons of classes on my website. Just find me. I'm around. (laughs) Absolutely. We will put links to all of that in our show notes because you are such a wealth of information. Teresa, thank you so much for spending time with us. Have an amazing rest of your day. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to the Practice Mastery Podcast. For more information on Fortune Management and to find an event in your area, please visit fortunemgmt.com.